0: The conversation starts at this place for us. How do you square the evil that exists in the world and the suffering that exists in the world with the idea that there even is a God out there who who is loving and caring like Christians say that there is?
1: Hello, this is Adam Barr. Welcome to the Organic Outreach Podcast. Together we're learning how to influence our world and share our faith naturally. We do this by providing resources, leading cohorts, and equipping leaders through conferences and intensives. At Organic Outreach International, we believe every Christian plays a part in fulfilling the Great Commission, and this podcast can help you do that. Well, hello, Organic Outreach family. Hope you guys are doing well. I'm excited about the episode we have for you today. We're having a conversation with Pat and Tammy McLeod. Pat and Tammy serve as crew chaplains on the campus of Harvard University. So that gives them a really a unique perspective on what are some of the challenges in our increasingly secular society when it comes to sharing the gospel. Not only are they there in a way that's helpful in terms of their positions on this campus, they've also had life experience that I think is uniquely helpful in, in giving Christians the tools that they need to, to help the gospel be meaningful to people right where they are. You know, one of the biggest questions that people have had really from the beginning, is why is there pain? Why is there suffering in the world? As Christians, if you talk to any apologist today, that would emerge as probably one of the top, if not the top question that people have for Christianity. Well, Pat and Tammy have a unique story to tell. They actually tell it in a book that they recently released called Hit Hard, One Family's Journey of Learning to Let Go of What Was and Live Well with What Is. I want to encourage you, listen to this story. I'm sure you're going to be inspired. All right, I'm sitting here with Pat and Tammy McLeod um, and getting ready to have an incredible conversation. Guys, I want to thank you so much for being here uh, with us on the Organic Outreach Podcast. Our pleasure. Thanks for having us. We've had a chance to to kind of chat and meet a little bit. I've had mm. a chance to uh, to learn a little bit about you guys by uh, looking up, but by, by uh, web stalking you <laughs> a little bit on the internet. And you sound like you have an incredible story, um, Pat. You've been serving as a chaplain for crew on uh, the Harvard campus. For you said. 20 years. 20 years now. Mm -hmm. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your guys' story? How did you end up in that place? What's it like ministering Mm -hmm. in this kind of a secular environment like Harvard Mm -hmm. University? Mm -hmm. Tammy, you go
0: with that. We do it together, by the way, Adam. There you go. (laughs) Tammy's also a chaplain at Harvard. Uh, Mm -hmm. Oh, that's wonderful. Okay.
2: Pat wanted to come to Boston to study science and religion. And one of the only schools that pulled those two fields together 20 years ago was Boston University. Okay. So we thought we were coming for two years and going back to Montana.
1: Oh, but wow. But we ended
2: up staying in Boston.
1: That's incredible. How'd
2: you get connected with Crew? So both of us came to know Jesus through Crew. Okay. And then we ended up... In your undergrad years? Yes. Okay. And then we um, decided to come on staff with Crew after Pat tried out for a pro football team. So it was pretty much the beginning. We taught and coached for a year, and then we came on staff.
1: Well, that's incredible. Mm. So you came on staff. Were you immediately assigned to to Harvard as your place of we we started
0: in California, actually. Okay, where? University of Pacific. Okay. Yeah, and and then we spent 12 years in Montana where all of our kids were born. And while there, actually, as uh, a way of sort of implementing some things that I learned in seminary, I helped the—well, I created a course on science and religion at Montana State that uh, if they if I wanted to continue that course, I needed to get my Ph.D., and that's why I ended up applying to go to BU to get a Ph.D., thinking we would one day come back, but our plans changed. Wow. Yeah, so—oh, oh, and actually, once we got there, crew asked if I would be willing to direct the ministry in Boston, and I said um, I would do it part-time and so i did and i'm still kind of doing it but now (laughs) (laughs) full-time so you sort of took a part-time gig that turned into a a lifestyle (laughs) yeah especially the harvard thing i was not planning on going there to work at harvard but um the then the, the the my boss said hey would you mind uh discipling a few of these guys at harvard and and i said well uh would i be able to get access to the gym and play basketball? He said yeah. I'm like, okay, I'll do it. Okay, I'll do it. So you I mean, what
1: an incredible story. I mean obviously your background, your academic background prepared you for something like this. I mean, Mm. uh if if there's any place in intellectual culture where you seem to where faith seems almost impossible, it's at the intersection of faith and science, right? Mm -hmm. For a lot of people in a place like this. What's what's the climate like at Harvard Mm.
0: for people of faith? Hmm. specifically of Christian evangelical yeah. faith. What's it like? Uh, well, I mean, I, I tell parents and aspiring students, incoming students, that Harvard's a great place to be a Christian. And I think it's great in part because this Christian population in the school, they, they really do, you know, they're sort of forced to take a stand if they're going yeah. to come out as a Christian, the ones who do come out as Christians. Um, really do, you know, uh
1: they got to mean it. They,
0: they, yeah, they got to mean it. And they <laughs> they actually become uh you know, sort of a pretty alternative social group, which I think is what the church is always meant to be, mm. is uh, a distinct people with a distinct sort of politics of their own of how they relate to each other, what membership it looks like in the kingdom of God and how they resolve their conflicts and how they how they live with one another. So that's so you know, I think that it's a good place, actually. I mean, it's, I, awesome. it's not to say that there's not a lot of uh, skepticism and that there's not a, a lot of challenges and that we haven't seen students come there who've lost their faith. Uh, but we've also seen a lot of students deepen their faith, grow in their faith. And, I mean, I'm going to be performing a wedding of two of them in a week. So that's it's incredible. like, you know, and that's not the first. It's, and there'll be, there'll be more.
2: You have to be comfortable, though, with people not thinking you're amazing. So you just, yeah. <laughs> that's rough, isn't it? Because they're around some of the greatest speakers in the world. Yeah, in their classes every day. You get, so, you get used to wow, being, yeah.
0: being in a room where everyone there is smarter than you. Yes, and, definitely. Um, so that it's pretty humbling. It's not. It's it was different than where I went to Montana State University. And sure. That's where we were on staff before we came to Harvard, and uh, you know it's not easy to earn the trust and respect of a harvard student it right a lot easier at home <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're
1: expecting they're, they're expecting what they get in the classroom sure yeah, yeah that's incredible that's right. so you guys uh, what does the ministry model look like on at, at harvard for in terms of reaching not only i guess gathering christian students together but then reaching non-christian students how does that work
2: so we're both Harvard chaplains and okay. we advise Christian Impact and athletes in action. They okay. don't have the organizational name on the campus so okay. the students make their own name. Okay and we're in the background so okay. they have stu- everything is student led so we're advisors only. Okay. So we work with the top student leaders who lead most of the small groups and then we speak at the weekly meetings and do training in personal, Life skills like talking, listening, and conflict resolution are okay. some of our big things we like to teach. Good. And the students have said that it's been the most helpful thing we've ever taught them mm-hmm. as they're in the workplace and their marriages. And then we do ministry training also. Very cool.
0: I think, can I add one? one other yeah, sure. That? So I think I've said this many times that probably the most effective thing that we do at Harvard. And in fact, if I only did this every year, I'd probably do way more than I could do the rest of the year uh, we take students to africa every january for a uh, three-week immersion into um, you know into doing ministry okay. of evangelism discipleship but actually it's a it's a academic program that we do and a, a, um what do you call it uh, uh like well, intercultural immersions well playing. shoot i'm skipping i'm blanking right now. Anyway, the, the organization is called Mama okay. Lodi Initiative. It's awesome. It's awesome. basically a supplementary education program. That's what I was tr- searching for. Um, students have a chance to help kids who are at risk, and many of them orphaned, okay. uh, pass an exam that gets them into college and changes their lives forever. So That's incredible. Yeah.
2: Mama Lodi is a township in South Africa. Pretoria. I was wondering where, yeah, okay.
1: So. What, yeah, a place that's been ravaged. I think AIDS ep- yes, epidemic has been right. huge there, correct? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, so, so you g- really g- make a life-changing y- yes, impact on the lives. of Yeah, I, w- I would
0: say getting these really privileged kids with, who are going to leave Harvard with an incredible credential, uh, to get them really close to really poor people and really big problems is life-changing for them. I mean, some of them have gone back. I mean, there's one guy, he's getting his PhD now, um, at North Carolina he's been back 10 times you know oh, he's right. a math genius and but he just keeps going back because he's I've never seen our students more alive than I've seen them there because they're bringing what they have which is you know this these brilliant minds and this training academically but they're in a con, they're in a culture of this you know it's materially impoverished but relationally rich and they, and it, and it transforms our students. So it's a, it's a give and take type experience for them.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. Coming face to face with real need, you yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. what was I? I just heard some recent um, study about, and I, I'm, I'm certainly not looking to. To pick on millennials but the the things that millennials feel like they're so stressed out about versus the greatest generation and what they were stressed out about and it was you know one of these like not finding cell phone chargers or you know that sort of stuff it's like it's a very different set of stresses Mm. that i think a lot of us deal with and they're real stresses i mean i don't want to minimize the the stresses of technology and living in a mobile world and all these sorts of things those are real things Mm. but but when you when you step out of that context into a place where it's like where am I gonna get my next meal or how am I gonna succeed? How am I gonna get out of you know, crippling poverty? Hmm. Suddenly you're you're brought outside yourself and given a larger, broader reference that's right. point.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah.
1: And you see the power of the gospel. Yeah. At indeed. work. Yeah. Yep. That's awesome. That's and that's one of the ways that I think Christianity, I mean, you just look historically. How have, how have we had an impact in, in seasons or times where, where the church has been in skeptical places? Mm-hmm. It's often been as much through the things that we do to show the love of Christ as mm-hmm. it is through the message that we proclaim. That's, that's right. That, that opens I the door and that. builds the bridges. Mm-hmm. Great. Mm-hmm. So suffering, um, that, that brings some students face to face with that. You guys have recently worked together on a book. Uh, the title is Hit Hard. One Family's Journey of Learning to Let Go of What Was and Live Well with What Is. Why don't you tell me a little bit about that book and about your story?
2: So 10 years ago, our 16-year-old son was playing football and had a massive traumatic brain injury when he made a tackle. And he became instantly severely disabled for life. And so for the past 10 years, we've been sitting in hospitals and rehab hospitals and getting Zach services in the community to try to see as much return in his life as possible. But we decided to write the story because we wanted to show, and Pat can talk about this a little bit later, God's nearness and suffering. Wow. But the second reason is for five years I was reading books on grief and they were not helping yeah. because they would talk about acceptance and closure. And I thought, something's not right here. Finally, I called. Because there is no closure. <laughs> yes.
1: It keeps going. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So I called the rehab hospital where Zach was located, year five, and said, I need help. I've been reading all these grief books, they're not helping me. And the next day, the librarian in the rehab hospital sent me the term ambiguous loss. And it was coined in 1999 by Pauline Boss. And she talks about two kinds of loss. One is when you have the person psychologically in your mind, but you don't have their presence. So immigration, adoption, missing in action in war, yeah. um, kidnapped kids, terrorist attacks.
1: Someone's separated from you and you're not sure what's going yeah, on. Yeah, you
2: don't have their body, so yeah. you can't have a funeral.
1: So there's an ambiguous yeah. sense of like, what? what does it really mean to... Mm live now that I, I'm i not sure where this person is.
2: Right. Or if yeah. I'll ever see him again. Yeah. And then the second one is what we're faced with. It's when you have the person, but they're not the same psychologically. So Alzheimer's disease, dementia, traumatic brain injury like ours. Addiction. Um, addiction, mental illness. Sure. Uh, so, it, so many instances of ambiguous loss.
1: Some, so, so in that instance, it's the idea that will we ever get them back i mean we can see them we can touch them we can feel them but we don't know if they we don't know what the relationship's really like anymore mm-hmm. because we we're you know we're not face to face or we're not sure if we'll ever really get them back or we know we're not going to get them back and right. we we're still with them every day so Is you still what,
2: have the attachment but you have to revise how you're relating to them now because inc- for yeah. example our son has no short-term memory and no speech so I can't connect with him the same way I used to have long talks about God and what we're learning and we'd pray together at night but now when I pray I'm just monologue prayer and he says alongside "Mm, mm," so you can tell he's with me but we can't talk about what we're learning or anything like that anymore. Can he write? Can so he have to, he, he types he have any, into an iPad. So he, can, he does he have can. means of
1: self-expression but at some level.
2: He loves looking into people's faces, so he doesn't really want to look down at a screen. <laughs> but even oh. though he has no short-term memory, no speech, he has to live in a group home. He'll never work, never get married, um, never go back to school. Um, never have children, things like that. So we know all these things unless God does a miracle. Um, He is the happiest, most joyful person I know.
0: And maybe loves God more than anyone. I know, know than
2: anyone. He's praying all the time. He's engaging people all the time, hugging them, Mm high-fiving them. So he's been left in a state that's amazing. He doesn't think about the future. So he doesn't have any of that. Anxiety. What do I want right. to do? Yeah. And he doesn't live in the past, so he remembers the past. He has his long term memory, but he doesn't uh, think mm-hmm. about the past, so he has no depression. That's incredible. He just lives in the present, which is what it's I try a to do. Good place to live. Yeah. Actually, That's kind even. of what we're
1: all aiming for, isn't it? I, mean, <laughs> yeah. I think that's sort of like the secret of life: is how do I, how can I be present? Yeah. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. So you've you've gone through this journey. I mean, I can't even imagine what it was like when it first started. I mean, it's a sense of tragic you know, uh, loss in your life, um, you know, questioning God. I mean, what, do you remember what, I mean, those days of, what What did that do to your faith? How did that challenge you? I mean, how could you affirm a, a God of love in the midst of that season?
2: I know some people think, how could God do this right. to a student as great as Zach? So that's what his classmates were saying. Yeah. Because he was loved by his classmates so and yeah. they couldn't understand how God could let this happen. But I don't actually think God made it happen. Yeah. He allowed it to happen. Yeah. But the biggest thing to me, I didn't really have the question, How could God do this? Mine was more, this is amazing. I've read these verses for so long, like Psalm thirty-four. The wow. Lord is near to the brokenhearted but saves those who are crushed in spirit. And I thought it's really true. I'm in intense suffering right now, and so the thing that stood out to me the most was the nearness of God and suffering. That his it's grace, His nature; yeah. wow. He is close to the suffering. So it's not like I was a special person or something. He's just near to the suffering. It's, he's and a good guy. I was one yeah. of them. And yeah. So.
1: So something like that. Just. Uh, I. I. Are you still close to? Are you? In proximity, close to Zach? I mean, do you see, you see him on a daily basis? Or, yeah, uh, so he
2: lives in a group home 25 minutes from us, so okay. we see him every Sunday. Okay. So we go to church with him and then hang out with him on Sunday afternoons, Okay. and we take vacations with him. But I know Pat had some interactions like with our son in prayer. So we had three other children. Okay. Their lives were really impacted by the loss. So our oldest daughter lost her best friend in an instant. So there was no one at the other end of the text anymore when she just wanted to share something personal. And then the younger son was 10, and he was really closely bonded to Zach. They would sleep in the same bed. So he was like his older brother that he looked up to and would just snuggle with. And so he lost in that moment a dad slash brother. Yeah, and then our other son, a mentor and a friend. So, it's it's not just hard on the person who experiences yeah the loss, but the family.
1: Well, the whole family. My I grew. My mom would always say it's like when you add when you add people, it's not addition. It's it's uh, it's it's multiplication. I mean, it's all the different. You know, I mean, it's it's really true. It's not like when you go from we have my wife and uh, my wife and I have four boys, and it's like each one adds not just one layer of complexity or one more variable. It's it's everything shifts. Everything shifts. And in a loss like that, it's not loss of one person. It's a loss of all these Mm. ways that we relate to each other because the family is such. Yeah. I mean, God, God knew what He was doing. He made the family such a beautiful Mm. microculture. Mm-hmm. yeah so you this had to dominate the first I mean especially when it initially happened this was a dominating force and I'm, I'm sure over ten years you've this I can hear it just in the way you're talking about it this is part of your life now this is kind of a new normal for you guys but how did this how has this impacted the way that you you know back to your your call to ministry mm-hmm. how has this impacted your ministry um, you are in a setting, as we've said, I mean it's it's a place where there's it's a great challenge to be salty in your faith. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you want to be a Christian, you can really you're going to stand out. And you better be ready for it. But it's also a place where you've got people who who are going to ask those questions. How can how can you worship a God who lets evil things happen? How mm-hmm. can you worship a God who mm-hmm. lets bad things happen? And here you are. You've lived a story that is clearly, as from what we've talked about, made your family mm-hmm. bo- bo- bound together. It's bound you closer. In in your heart to God, how do you how does does that translate? How does that translate to your ministry?
0: Yeah, I think that this generation one one thing I've noticed, Adam, about uh, students where they are today versus where they've been in the past, and the kinds of things that they're stumbling over. Maybe it's always been true, but it's certainly more true to me now than ever that the problem of evil, the problem of suffering, the problem of even institutional sin and brokenness in the world—they're mm-hmm. very tuned into that. Yeah, they, they've become—it seems like—increasingly calloused to personal guilt and shame yeah. and stuff like that. So you can, so the starting converse, starting point of a conversation about the gospel, I think—and this is actually in the Jesus and Justice thing that I'll be speaking on here at this okay. conference—is that's what I'll be uh, addressing at the beginning. Is just that you know this. The conversation starts at this place for us of like you know how do you square the evil that exists in the world and the suffering that exists in the world with the idea that there even is a god out there who who is loving and caring like Christians say that there is.
1: So when for instance when the four spiritual laws were developed it was yeah. about you could talk to somebody and know that immediately you could t- you could tune in and they would resonate yeah. with a sense of personal guilt. Personal guilt. Right. Whereas and that was the starting point yeah. was you know God loves you has a wonderful plan for your life but sins got in the way everybody would go oh yeah okay that makes sense no. whereas today you're saying the starting point's much different the starting point's about institutional or about systemic because evil they're and there suffering
0: because they're already there I mean you can't find anyone who's not sort of like uh, I mean, they call it the justice generation. I think the yeah. millennials are called that yes. partly because they're tuned into the injustices that exist in the world, and they realize how the powerful oppress the powerless, and they yeah. realize that through, you know, like the Black Lives Matter or the um, Me Too Me Too movement, yeah. and, the, and so on and so forth. And so they're they're tuned into that, and, and yet uh, if. You know, and the the way that we are doing ministry through like this Jesus and Justice initiative is, um, students are still even though they start there with like human sex trafficking in, in this conversation about like justice, and then they move to a conversation about what is it about Jesus that makes him still relevant to a world? Uh, why has he been behind these major sort of movements of social justice yeah. for the, for two millennium millennia? Uh, he's still like relevant and uh drive i mean he drove our own civil rights movement it was it was someone inspired by the sermon on the mount and and animated by the christian worldview martin luther king who yeah. led that movement and so um so we can get to the issue of of sin that way because when and and we do in this sort of initiative or this um jesus and justice uh, conversation by then asking students, well, you know, um, what what about you? Like, where 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 do you contribute to this? Yeah, like it's not just out there. Yeah. it's like that power dynamic. What we do with our power is inside of us, and uh, so they do. They are forced to wrestle with the fact that this does exist in me, and I need to deal with it. And Jesus is still relevant, and he brings true transformation. He brings true tra- transformation,
1: right? Well, in Jesus, I mean, I think some of it is, you know, we're talking about the the problem of evil or the question why does bad why do bad things happen, and um, we can point to these different human origins of some of these things, mm. but that only leads you to at best that leads you to a desire for for the tables to be settled there at the mm. human level. Mm. Um, God the, the gospel of Christ actually gives us more than just the sense of satisfaction that we might be able to fix a problem mm. because let's face it we're not going to fix pro- all the problems on this side of things mm. it actually gives us the comfort of a, of a person mm. right yeah we're brought into the presence of God yes which I think if there's anything that helps transcend some mm. of these questions and doubts it's not going to be fixing everything because we're not going to do that mm it's going to be seeing something greater than the problems and I I don't find that anywhere except for in the gospel of Christ
0: yeah and I can I comment on that yeah I I totally agree with that in fact that's in a way the message of the story hit hard is that I personally wanted to write this with Tammy because of our like she said our kids seeing how being rocked by the brokenness of the world and, and a world where bad things seem to happen to good people um They've struggled, you know, spiritually to make sense of that. And i um, they haven't really – I mean, I wanted to write this story down so that my kids, when they were ready, could read how it was that God met us in the midst of this and actually revealed himself, not as the sort of Aristotelian unmoved mover. Mm-hmm. That God, I don't think, does exist. The God that existed and, exists and revealed himself to me. Was a crucified God, Amen. A God who's un, who understands suffering, who understands death, who understands injustice, and who actually experienced it and bore it in His own person in order to save us from it forever and redeem
1: it. I mean, that's the amazing thing: is hmm. that the worst thing that ever happened, the most evil thing that ever happened, was also simultaneously the greatest, the, the greatest most yeah. beautiful thing. Yeah, I right. mean, that's incredible. Yeah. That's the gospel. I mean, I don't find any place except for there that these things kind of converge and come together. And we might not get an answer to each particular instance of mm-hmm. suffering, but we find out where the answers are mm-hmm. in, in, in a person. Yeah, That's beautiful.
0: Yeah, it is beautiful. And Zach, <laughs> and Zach, by the way, sort of radiates that redemption, too. Because here's a guy who, when you do pray with him, like Sam, Tammy says, and he he, doesn't, he can speak, but not very well, and it's really hard for most people to understand him. Uh, but I've, you know, I'll still to this day, I'll pray over him and pray for God to heal the brain and to heal, you know, the right side, mm-hmm. recover the strength there and loosen the tongue, give him speech back and memory and all this stuff. And he's pretty silent. Yeah. But when I end, I always quote a verse that he shared actually a couple of weeks before he. Uh, was injured he was baptized and he shared the verse 2nd corinthians 12 where paul talks about you know having this thorn in the flesh and Mm -hmm. jesus saying to him my grace is sufficient for you for my power is perfected in your weakness and as i when i say when i say that in the prayer thank you god that your power though is going to be reflected in our weakness, Zach just comes alive and he starts. Mm, mm. <laughs> yes, and it's because like, he a believes a great it. amen.
1: Yeah, you know he,
0: I mean? it's like a. Mm, mm, yeah, it's a great AM. <laughs> a- amen. Absolutely, I agree. Oh, that's beautiful, well, guys. It is. I feel incredibly humbled and blessed
1: to hear your story. Hmm. What an amazing thing God's done in your lives, and it's it's one of those things you, you can talk about the problem of evil and, the, and suffering and things like this as like you know part of the reason these things happen is because god's creating a world that's a, a created world is great but a redeemed world is even better hmm. Hmm. and your 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 story helps us see that hmm. so i just want to thank you for sharing it with yes, us you're welcome. and, and the, the book is available yes and it's, uh, it's going to be available through amazon and all the Barnes other sorts of the great yeah, yeah great well i want to encourage everybody to check out uh, hit hard by pat and tammy mcleod Uh, guys once again God bless you and your ministry thank you you. thanks for having us it's been
0: great to be with you you too
1: I don't know about you it was hard not to pull out some Kleenex for that one what an incredible story Um, I just want to encourage you pick up the book for yourself it's called Hit Hard One Family's Journey of Learning to Let Go of What Was and to Live with Well with What Is Pat and Tammy McLeod we're grateful that you joined us on the Organic Outreach podcast for the rest of us Ask yourself a question, how are we gonna take the experiences of our life and help them relate the reality of the gospel to other people's lives? These are conversations that people want to have. Hopefully we as Christians can offer more than truisms or offer more than formulaic answers. Hopefully we're spending time reflecting on the things that God's doing in our lives so that we can help connect and build bridges with other people the way that Pat and Tammy have. We'll I also encourage you, help us get the word out by joining the Organic Outreach Media Squad. All you have to do is send an email to info at organicoutreach.org and let us know that you want to join the team. If you do, we'll send you one of our newly minted Organic Outreach Media Squad mugs. Just imagine how jealous your friends are going to be when they see you sipping your favorite beverage in one of these babies. I think you want to do it. Well, for now, <laughs> this is Adam Barr reminding you, Make time to share God's life today.